Welcome to the Transformational Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Hannah Anam. My mission is to help you lead more effectively and be an agent of positive change in times of disruption. On this podcast, we interview practitioners and leadership experts and have coaching exercises that you can apply immediately to your work challenges. Together, we learn how to achieve success and create workplaces in a world that work better for all. I am so excited today to welcome Kristen Neff. Kristen Neff is an associate professor of educational psychology at the University of Texas at Austin. She is a pioneer in the field of self-compassion research, and she conducted the first empirical studies on self-compassion over 15 years ago. She has co-developed an empirically supported training program called Mindful Self-Compassion and is author of the book, Self-Compassion, The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself, Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook, and Teaching the Mindful Self-Compassion Program, a guide for professionals. Kristen, welcome to our podcast. I'm so excited that you are here today to talk to us about how self-compassion can really help us in times of disruption. Oh, thank you, Hannah. I'm really happy to be here with you. Kristen, one thing that I know that we talked about earlier is you shared a little bit about your story around what's creating this passion you have for self-compassion. Would you share that with our listeners? Yeah. So, well, for me, it really is a personal practice, right? So I started with the personal practice of self-compassion It was, gosh, over 20 years now um, ago, and uh, I was in my last year of graduate school, finishing up my PhD, and basically my life was a mess. I had a marriage that had fallen apart. Everything was just not good. (laughs) And so I started practicing mindfulness meditation because I had heard it was good for stress. And the very first night I went, the woman leading the course talked about the importance of having compassion for yourself as well as others. You know, how we needed to be a, a good friend to ourselves, to be kind, to be supportive to ourselves, especially when things were difficult, which they were for me. And so I just tried it. You know, I tried saying supportive things to myself. I tried intentionally being kind to myself. And I was really just blown away by the immediate difference it made in my ability to cope with all the stress I was going through. And so that's really what led me to research self-compassion. But even now, even today, you know, I'm still a mess like everyone else. I mean, going through this pandemic, everything's so difficult. I still use self-compassion constantly. It's really a way of life. And that's why I'm so passionate about it, because it helps. It really, really helps. Yeah. So share a little bit about your research. How is self-compassion useful during times of disruption? Right, yes. You know, luckily, it's not just my research at this point. There are well over 2,600 studies on self-compassion, so it's a huge research field at this point. So what we know is that unequivocally, that self-compassion is one of the most powerful sources of strength, coping, and resilience we have available. So just to give an example of one line of research with um, combat veterans coming back from Iraq or Afghanistan, And what we know is that combat veterans who can relate to the trauma they experienced with self-compassion, with kindness, with support, with understanding, what we know is, for instance, they're much less likely to develop post-traumatic stress syndrome, 
to uh, attempt suicide, which sadly is a, a common occurrence among our veterans. They cope better with life. They're less likely to turn to alcohol as a way to cope. And it's sad because a lot of people assume that self-compassion is weak. But if you think about it, when you go into battle, what voice do you want inside your head? Do you want an ally who says, I got your back, I'm here for you, I believe in you, what can I do to help? Or do you want an enemy, someone who's cutting you down, saying you're worthless, you aren't good enough, you should be ashamed? Clearly, an inner ally is going to be, help you be stronger when times are difficult. And I think the same thing's happening with this pandemic, people who are able to be supportive, to be kind, to ask themselves, what do I need right now? They're going to be stronger than people who are judging themselves or blaming themselves or just kind of fighting against reality um, without actively supporting themselves. Yes, and, and uh, that is so true about fighting against reality. It strikes me that we're all wanting some kind of normal to return, and that normal that we used to know uh, might never come back. And so this notion of using self-compassion to calm and soothe ourselves is so critically important for these times. Is there anything from a neuroscience perspective around how self-compassion practice actually impacts your body or your neural state? Uh, we know that in terms of our nervous system reactions, there's two main types of nervous system reaction. There's the sympathetic response, which is our fight, flight, or freeze response. We release cortisol, and, and, and when we're in that state a lot, we can, can lead to hypertension, heart attacks, things like that. And then there's the parasympathetic response, which is the, the kind of more calming response. This is activated, for instance, when we're with family members or people we love or care about, when we're close to others, um, we release things like oxytocin, um, our cortisol levels drop, um, our amygdala, you know, which is active in the sympathetic response, it actually calms down with the parasympathetic response. And so there is research showing that when we're kind and supportive to ourselves, our cortisol level drops, there's other markers like um, inflammatory markers that the inflammation dies down, our amygdala gets less reactive. So, and I just read another study showing that um, self-compassion is linked to longer telomere length. And so telomere length is the, the length of the caps of our RNA, but they've shown predicts how long we live. It's one of the ultimate markers of health and well-being when everything's working optimally. And so self-compassion helps us live longer through our telomeres. Uh, it also enhances immune function. When yeah. our minds are calm and we're functioning better, our bodies also function better. Outstanding. Beautiful. I love that notion that we are, when we are kind to ourselves, it actually helps lengthen our lives and improves our immunity. That's uh, such a, a beautiful reminder that we have within ourselves and in our DNA, all of the markers that help us thrive in times of disruption, that we can use these parts of our body and choices that we make in terms of being more self-compassionate to actually thrive, even in difficult and challenging times. Yes, and I think especially now, because human beings, we are social beings, and so our physiology is actually designed so that we, when we feel connected to others, when we feel close to others, when we're in like close-knit family groups or communities, that actually helps our physiological functioning. And one of the problems now with the social distancing is we're being cut off, at least from the physical contact with our friends and families and loved ones. 
And so self-compassion is a way to also prime, you might say, that sense of connectedness, but it's the connectedness with ourselves. For those of us who are not used to a self-compassion practice, is there just a very simple mechanism that we can use to remind ourselves, ah, this is a really good time for me to practice some self-compassion? What are some suggestions that could be really interesting triggers for us, for our listening audience here to say, ah, this is a time for self-compassion? Yes, it's quite easy. Any moment of suffering, (laughs) Mm. right? Big or Mm. small. So right. this could be physically, if you're, if you're, you know, you're sick or you're feeling um, poor in your body, that's a moment where you can practice self-compassion. If you're feeling inadequate in some way, if you're feeling like you aren't, maybe you aren't doing enough, any sort of self-judgment, any sort of feelings of inadequacy, any sort of stress. I mean, really, compassion is how we relate to our own pain. Well, compassion for others is how we relate to the pain of others. And self-compassion is how we relate to our own pain. That pain can be physical or emotional, spiritual, psychological, right? And so what happens often is when we are in pain, we get lost in the pain. But one of two things, either we get lost in it and it's like we get in the drama of it or we suppress it and avoid it. And so mindfulness is actually part of self-compassion. So mindfulness is when we're aware of what's happening. So we're aware that we're in pain, that we're struggling, but in a way that's balanced and that has some perspective as opposed to over-dramatizing it or getting lost in the pain. Yeah. And so any moment of pain is a moment of self-compassion. And it can be Mm -hmm. any type of pain. Again, you stub your toe. You could either stub your toe freak out and kick your cat, <laughs> or you could say, oh, ouch. You know, something, something as simple as the tone of your voice being kinder can elicit the understanding that you care. Yeah. Can you talk to whether practicing self-compassion also helps us be more compassionate toward others? Is there any research around that so that we can create cultures that are much more compassionate? Yes, there is research about this. Now, one thing to know, if you just look at most people, like how compassionate are you to yourself? How compassionate are you to others? There are a lot of people who are very compassionate to others and aren't self-compassionate. So being compassionate to others doesn't necessarily mean that you are also self-compassionate. But we do know, like, for instance, with training, we've got a lot of research on, you know, the mindful self-compassion program I developed with Chris Germer or other training programs, that one of the outcomes of learning to be more self-compassionate is not only are you more compassionate to others, but most people, they're they're like on a a five-point scale, most people score about (laughs) 4.5. It's hard to say what's going on. Most people feel like they're really compassionate to others. So it does increase to the extent that it can because it's already so high, but the, the big difference is in, it's in sustaining compassion for others. So we just um, finished a study, we developed a self-compassion training for healthcare workers. And what we found is it did increase their compassion for others, they were already quite compassionate, but importantly, it increased their compassion satisfaction. In other words, how much, how much meaning they were, and value they got from their compassionate work. And it also reduced burnout. That was the big thing, it reduced burnout. Because if you give and you give and you give to others, and you don't give to yourself, you're gonna, you aren't going to be able to sustain it. 
So one of the biggest gifts of self-compassion is it gives you the strength and the resources to maintain giving to others without burning out. Wow, that is such an important study and, and an important finding for certainly our healthcare workers, but I also think so important for all of the people that are giving right now. I, I imagine people that are trying to homeschool and do work yes. and, and give into their communities that yes. this practice of self-compassion and being able to sustain um, compassion for coworkers and sustain compassion for themselves through these difficult times. It's um, such an important finding. So it's not just if you're a professional caregiver, if you're any sort of caregiver for your spouse, your partner, your child, self-compassion will help you sustain that um, and make you actually more able to give. One of the things that I know in workplaces that we are all trying to do is to learn how we can be more agile in these times of disruption. And there's a lot of really interesting research done by Richard Boyatzis, who I also invited into the podcast, who talked about how activating the empathic neural network in our brain actually helps us become more agile to change. And I was just curious, is there any research around being more open-minded or more um, curious or more open to new ideas, whether that is at all connected with a work that you've done on self-compassion? Yes. So in acceptance and commitment therapy, which is a common form of therapy, they talk about psychological flexibility, which is related to what you're talking about, the ability to think flexibly, flexibly to not get stuck in a particular mind state, to think creatively. And we know that one of the, actually one of the reasons acceptance and commitment therapy works and yields psychological flexibility is because they also help people to be more self-compassionate. So one of the major outcomes of self-compassion is psychological flexibility, um, being curious, uh, being more creative, right? And so what happens is when we're feeling negatively about ourselves, our mindset narrows, right? We get stuck, we, we get really focused on our problems, we start to ruminate, we don't, we don't see the big picture. But self-compassion, once we feel safe and we aren't just judging ourselves so much and we can give ourselves the sense of warmth and support, and we're more able to perspective take, again, to think creatively, to be flexible. So absolutely, that's one of the, that's one of the things that um, self-compassion does is allows us to be much more flexible. Beautiful. And motivated is a big one. <laughs> so tell me more about that. Well, part. so it's interesting because one of the one of the biggest blocks to self-compassion is people are under this false idea that it undermines your motivation. They really think that their self-criticism is an effective motivator. And by the way, self-criticism kind of works, but someone someone wants to use the analogy, it's it's like a coal-powered, you know, locomotive. It gets you up the hill, but it spits out a lot of smoke. Right. So it kind of not works good for it, your environment at not all. Good for your environment or for yourself. Right. Yes. So what happens with self-criticism is you start undermining your self-confidence. You start becoming afraid of failure. You develop performance anxiety. You actually eventually pull the rug out from underneath yourself if you use that as the way to motivate yourself. So self-compassion 
the, the engine of self-compassion isn't fear. It's not like I better do it. Otherwise I'm going to, you know, beat myself up or whip myself, which is what self-criticism does. The engine of self-compassion, uh, self-compassionate motivation is love or care. Mm. I want to do my best. I care about myself. I want to reach my goals. I want to succeed. If I fail or I fall short, it's still okay. I'm still going to love and care for myself. But just as a parent naturally wants the best for their child, even though their love isn't contingent on their child getting it right, we do the same thing for ourselves. And what the research shows quite clearly is that it's a more effective motivator. It doesn't create performance anxiety the way self-criticism does. It's not linked to fear of failure. It's safe to fail, which means people, first of all, they have more grit. So we know when people, when times get tough, they can stick to it. They can stick to their goals because they don't slam themselves in self-criticism. It's also linked to a growth mindset. In other words, the idea of what can I learn from this? I can learn from this as opposed to this means I'm smart or dumb, right? So it's in, in really any way you look at it, self-compassion is a more effective motivator. Yes. Have you done any work in workplaces around self-compassion? Yeah, sadly, there's, there's very little research on self-compassion, specifically in the workplace. Like I said, there's a lot about motivation, which, which translates. I think there's one study showing that people interviewing for jobs who are more self-compassionate were more confident and more likely to stick to their goals, even after encountering setbacks. There's very little. That will hopefully change soon. I hope so. I hope yeah. so. We definitely need the studies in the workplace because I there is so much research now that such incredible loneliness in workplaces. And yeah. we believe that a sense of connection and trust and a sense of joint purpose actually help drive better results. Yes. Then I would imagine that, you know, it'd be a great to do more research in the workplace because it's sorely needed. I, I agree. I agree. So if anyone's listening who's a researcher, <laughs> I've got a scale. Short, That's easy, awesome. short That's in your awesome. study. <laughs> Hopefully we'll get lots of people doing that research. And, and now I think for a special treat, Kristen, would you take us through a self-compassion practice? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So um, I'll lead you through something called the self-compassion break, which is something that can be done throughout the day whenever you encounter any sort of uh, difficulty or stress or emotional pain. That basically calls forth the three components of self-compassion. Just to quickly recap, the three elements of self-compassion are mindfulness. We need to be mindful of the fact that we're having a hard time. We need to be aware of it in order to give ourselves compassion. Common humanity is remembering that we aren't alone, that imperfection is part of the shared human experience, and then kindness. And so we're just going to bring these in sequentially. Okay, so if you go ahead and close your eyes if you want. You, you can do this with your eyes open, but it often helps to go um, deeper if your eyes are closed. So just settle into your body for a moment, feeling your feet on the floor perhaps, or the weight of your body on the chair. And then thinking of some situation in your life that's causing you some emotional stress or difficulty. So it may be, you know, feelings of frustration or loneliness or isolation or fear, fear for your health, fear for your financial security, fear for a loved one. 
So something in your life that's causing you stress or difficulty, just, just focus on one thing. And um, if when you think of this problem, you start to feel overwhelmed or panicked, please choose something that's a little less difficult because if we're overwhelmed or panicked, we can't really learn the practice. So something that's challenging, but not overwhelmingly so. So I'll give you a few moments just to think of what you wanna focus on. Just really getting in touch with the situation. Uh, you might be feeling the discomfort of it in your body. All right, so the first thing we want to do is just bring in mindfulness. Mindfulness of the fact that this is really hard right now. Right, what you're going through, this is a moment of stress or struggle, moment of pain. Right, so just, just really becoming aware of that and using some language that makes sense for you, like this really hurts, this is so difficult. Right, and then we want to remember the humanity of what we're going through. So, you know, struggles, situations like this, it's a part of life. It's a part of being human. Right? So in other words, you aren't alone in this. So once again, using any language that, that really speaks to you, it may be something like, you know, there are millions of people in the world feeling like I am right now or any human would feel this way in this situation. Or if, if you're someone who's not very uh, touchy-feely, it may be something as simple as shit happens, right? You know, just really remembering that this is part of living a human life. No one ever said it was going to be perfect. We don't say this to belittle our own struggle or to compare it to that of others, but just really to normalize it and to remember this is human. And then finally, we want to bring in some kindness to ourselves. So the type of kindness that, you know, you might show naturally to a close friend you cared about. And so to show that kindness, one thing you can do is use some sort of physical gesture of kindness, maybe your hand over your heart or your shoulder or your belly, right? Some sort of touch to remind yourself physically of your own support and care. And then any words that uh, you need to hear right now to support yourself, to care for yourself, right? It may be something that you would naturally say to a friend, I'm so sorry this is so hard for you right now. I'm, I'm here for you. Or I care. Or perhaps I love you. Right? Maybe thinking about what you need to hear right now, what you would maybe like to hear from a friend or something you would say to a friend. Okay, 
and then letting go of the practice, um, you can open your eyes. Wow, that was great. I almost didn't want to open my eyes, Kristen. I just wanted to stay there. <laughs> such a such a nice and friendly and caring place to be. And it's so beautiful that we can offer it up to ourselves. Yes, and it's, it's very simple. Just remember being mindful of the pain. Remember that you aren't alone in this. And then kindness. And you can use it. You know, we did it more slowly there, but you can do that in one minute or less. Yeah. Throughout the day. Beautiful. Thank you, Kristen. Where can people find out more about you if they'd like to delve deeper or connect with you? Well, if you just Google self-compassion. You'll find my website, selfcompassion.org, and I have a lot of free resources. You can take the self-compassion scale to measure how self-compassionate you are. I've got videos, I've got guided meditations and exercises, and if you're a research nerd, I've got hundreds and hundreds of research articles organized by category of study <laughs> on my website. So I've really tried to make it kind of a hub. And if you're interested in actually training in self-compassion, there's a link to the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion, and you can take a lot of online training to learn the skills more deeply. Beautiful. What a gift it's been to do this practice with you, Kristen. I so appreciate the work that you're doing and how you're devoting yourself to this research, to the practice of self-compassion and helping um, really elevate humanity in our ability to care for ourselves and others. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Hannah. It was a real pleasure to be with you. Thanks for listening. This is your host, Hannah Anam. Please rate, comment, and share our podcasts with those you care about. Be the leader who helps others grow and thrive in times of disruption. You can visit our website at www.transformleaders.tv. There, you'll find other great tools to grow your leadership and be a force for good in these times. Until the next time, my friends.